say thanks to the band this morning for leading us in a time of worship. Appreciate them being here each and every Sunday morning faithfully to lead us. Also want to say a word of appreciation to those of you who serve faithfully on Friday evening. Um, we did receive a great deal of feedback um, from people, um, both church members and non-church members alike with regards to the festivities on Friday night. Um, actually received one note from someone afterwards saying that it was the best 4th of July celebration their family had attended in 10 years. And so um, a lot of good feedback, a lot of folks um, getting some exposure to what God's doing here uh, at the ranch and at the church. And so we are very grateful for that. And for those of you who put your hands together with us and helped carry the ball and help push it down the field and help serve in those capacities, I want to say as your pastor, thank you for doing so. Um, and also want to cast vision for those of you who could not be here next year to help step up underneath some of that weight and carry it with us as we move forward. Uh, if you are new with us this morning, we're glad to have you. My name's Shannon. I'm one of the pastors here at Sabine Creek. I probably should have started with that. That would have been a good introduction. Um, but we're glad that you're with us this morning. And if you're joining us this morning for the first time, you're joining us uh, in the middle of a series that we've been working through called Cultivate as we're taking a look at the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and seeing the difference between what we've called a morally restrained heart versus a supernaturally changed heart. And one of the ways I'll illustrate that to you this morning is this. There's a difference between if you were to go to Kroger and pick up a bag of apples and then stop by Lowe's and pick up a roll of duct tape. Because duct tape will do anything, won't it? You take a roll of duct tape and a bag of apples and you go out to an oak tree in your backyard and you take that roll of duct tape and that bag of apples and you take that tape and you start taping apples to the branches of the oak tree. Right? Because that oak tree needs to bear apples. It needs to bear fruit, right? So externally you're trying to put the fruit onto the tree. There's a difference between taking a roll of duct tape and a bag of apples and taping them to an oak tree and cultivating an apple tree that would grow large and tall with a broad spread of, of branches that are very dense that puts on a great crop of fruit. There's a difference between those two things, isn't there? Trying to force something externally to take place versus something growing naturally from the inside. or might even say supernaturally from the inside. And so over the course of the last several weeks and over the course of the next several weeks, we're taking a look at this dynamic and this distinctive of the Christian life. That the Christian life is lived not because we take these external regulations and rules and, and, and try and force them onto our, onto our lives or onto our hearts, but rather the Christian life is lived as something begins to change internally that all of a sudden now has these new external the dimension to it. It has this external extension to it. it bear, we bear fruit, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5.22, that the Spirit is doing a work in our lives to bear His fruit. And one of the distinctive fruits that He bears in our lives, or the distinctive fruit that He bears in our lives, is that fruit of joy. In Galatians 5.22, the Apostle Paul says, for the fruit of the Spirit is love. And the very second thing that he says that comes off of his pen is that word joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. It's not something that we take and externally force. It's not an external happiness that we go, you kind of walk around with this smile on your face all the time and you're always happy. And no matter what's going on in your life, people think that everything is grand and great and incredible, right? It's not that kind of external manipulation, but rather it's an internal joy that rises up from the Spirit's work inside of us. So we want to take a look this morning at a particular passage of Scripture in 1 Peter to give us a little insight on this kind of joy the Spirit is producing in our lives as we seek to follow after Jesus, as we are now new creations in Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, 
we find a text in 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3, down through verse 9, that I think is going to give us a little bit of insight into what joy is and where it comes from and then how it's cultivated in us. Okay, So let's take a look at this passage together this morning, beginning in verse 3 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Peter writes these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." I think in this text, Peter gives us a pretty clear insight as far as what joy is. And this is what I think Peter would say to us if he was standing here before us today. He would say that joy, joy is a deep and weighty inner delight. Joy is a deep and weighty inner delight. Now, where is that coming out of this particular text? Let me show you. I want you to notice a few marks of true Christian joy that Peter unfolds for us in, that, in the text that he writes there. First, he says it's an inner delight. In other words, it's something that's going on inside of here that's not dependent upon what's going on outside here. Okay, It's an inner delight, not an outer delight. It's not dependent upon circumstances around us or situations that we might find ourselves in, but it's something that's lodged deep within our hearts deep within our hearts. It's inner. I want you to notice what Peter says in verse 6 when he says that true Christian joy, we might say it this way, is an even though kind of joy or an although kind of joy. In verse 6 he says that you rejoice even though for this season, for this time, at this moment you may be grieved by various trials. You might have various difficulties. There might be things that stand up in opposition against where it is that you feel like you need to go. So there might be things that are in your way, roadblocks or obstacles. There might be things that are grieving you and causing you pain. But he says, even though there are things going on around you, even though there are trials that you're facing externally, he says, you're rejoicing still. There's still a joy that exists because it's wedged down deep in your heart. It's not dependent upon what's going on around you. It's an even though kind of joy. We might say it's an even though kind of joy in two ways. First of all, it's an even though kind of joy because you can say I rejoice and I have joy. True Christian joy exists even though they might face all kinds of daily stressors in life. Anybody ever been there before? Right? Anybody have daily stress that you endure and that you encounter on a regular basis? So we might say true Christian joy is there even though your kids poop in the bathtub during bath time. Like, where'd those rocks come from? I didn't put those in there, right? It's a, it's a kind of joy that's there even though they're gonna pee on the, on, on, the, on the carpet, right? Spill juice on their clothes and on yours, 
on some days and all over the back seat of the car. And so you got this big red Kool-Aid stain in the back seat of the car that will not come out no matter how good of a detailer you take your vehicle to, right? You got those kind of daily stressors of life even though they color on the wall with a permanent marker that you just painted two days ago, right? Even though uh, they, they smashed Play-Doh into the carpet, that takes all kinds of elbow grease to get out. Even though you get stuck in traffic, right? You might enjoy driving in Rockwall these days. I don't know very many people who do, right? Even though you get stuck in traffic and you're in a log jam and waiting and waiting and waiting, even though, even though you get an unexpected bill in the mail, you weren't necessarily waiting for that statement from the IRS and you weren't waiting for uh, that tax appraisal documentation to cause your uh, property value to inflate and even though even though you challenge it and even though you contest it you might lose even though after a long and demanding day of work you get into your vehicle after 12 hours of physical labor and you stick your key in the ignition and you go to turn that key and nothing happens Right? Even though, even though, and I think God knew that I would be preaching about joy this morning because that's exactly what happened to me on Friday night. After the 4th of July celebration, I get in my truck and turn the key, and nothing's happening. And so the nice man with a big yellow truck and a flatbed met me out here yesterday in order to tow my truck into the shop where it sits now waiting to be diagnosed. And so even though those daily stressors of life exist for all of us, true Christian joy is an inner delight that's present even in the midst of all these daily stresses. But not just daily stresses, but also some of the bigger issues that we might face in life, some of the bigger obstacles or challenges that might come up against us, even though you may have lost your job, been laid off, passed over for a promotion, didn't get the raise that you thought you deserved or expected, even though your kids didn't get accepted to the school that they wanted to, and maybe some of you students didn't get accepted to the schools that you wanted to as you began to apply for colleges, even though your parents may be going through a divorce right now. Even though, even though you may be bullied at school, even though you just got the phone call from the doctor and received the diagnosis that you never expected, even though you may have to one day stand beside the casket of a mother or father, a brother or sister, a spouse, a son or a daughter, a niece or a nephew, someone who's close to you, and lay them to rest, even though, even in the midst of the daily stresses and some of the bigger issues that bubble up in life, even though, Paul says, in the midst of trials that would grieve you, you rejoice. True Christian joy is an even though kind of joy. It's an inner delight, not dependent upon outer circumstances. Look what else Paul, or Peter says, I'm sorry, about this particular joy. He says it's a deep joy. It's a deep joy. Look what he says in verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 1. He says that you rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible. It's a profound kind of joy. It's inexpressible. Typically when we think of things that are inexpressible, we think of very deep concepts, or we think of very profound concepts that we have a hard time articulating. We have a hard time putting words around those things. And Peter says this joy that is wedged in us, not dependent upon what's around us, but wedged within us, is deep. 
It's profound. In other words, you feel this delight inside and this joy inside that you can't really even articulate necessarily where it's coming from because you've got all kinds of trials and difficulties that you're facing. It's inexpressible. It's hard to put it into words. And in fact, this particular joy might be expressed, maybe not through words, but by actions or dispositions or personalities. And it might look differently in everyone's lives because the different personalities are different. You got some folks who are very silly and they're always just real playful and outgoing. And you go, that's a joyful person. Well, that might just be their personality. Or you got people who are very serious and thoughtful. And you say, they have no joy in their lives whatsoever. It's just their personality. They might have deep joy, whereas the person who's more silly and playful might not have much joy at all. So this joy is inexpressible in the sense that it could be expressed in different personalities in different ways and at different times. But it's deep, it's profound, Peter says. Notice the third thing that he says about it here in the text about joy. He says that it's a weighty joy. It's a weighty joy or a weighty delight. In verse 8, Peter says that Christian joy is not only inexpressible, but it's filled with glory. Now, that word glory throughout the Bible can be used to describe someone or something that's heavy or that's weighty, that's permanent. It's not going to move. It's not going to shift. It's not going to be blown away. And so one of the ways that God is spoken of throughout the scriptures is as glorious, and that his glory is a part of his weightiness, his heaviness, his permanence, his stability. There is nothing that's going to blow him away. And Peter says, this joy that you and I have, it's a weighty, heavy joy that's substantial and stable and enables us to face the winds that will howl against us in life without being blown away by them. Now, some of you guys know that I have possession of a very old, beat-up, rickety, ratty boat that I like to take out on the lake. It floats still all the time and runs most of the time, okay? Um, but it's got all kinds of scars and scratches and scrapes uh, all over the hull. Uh, I had to replace the carpet and replace the seats and do a lot of manual work to it myself in order to get it to where it could actually be usable. But now that it is usable, I get a chance to use it. When I take it out on the lake, though, you know, you see all these other big, nice, shiny, brand new boats. And some of these big, nice, shiny, brand new boats have these two poles coming up off the back side of them, and they're called shallow water anchors. And there's one particular brand of these shallow water anchors that are called power poles. And what they are basically is this, is they're long rods that extend out from the back of the boat down, and they sink into the bottom of the lake. And so if you're fishing a particular shallow area of water, you can position yourself in one place and not be blown around by the wind because we all know that Dallas is full of wind all the time okay so you can position yourself in one place and not be moved by whatever is blown against you or blown at you and what Peter would say to us if he were standing in before us today is this is that joy true Christian joy this even though kind of joy that is deep and profound and you have a hard time finding words to translate it and articulate it sometimes this even though kind of joy is the power pole of the Christian life it anchors you in place so that no matter what is blown at you you stay where you are you stay where you are there's a stability about this kind of joy that Peter's describing. Joy is a deep and weighty inner delight that's not dependent upon circumstances around us. 
And it's so profound that at, hard times we, at times we have a hard time articulating it and finding words to describe it. But when it's there, when it's there, it keeps you from being blown off course and it keeps you from being blown down the river or across the lake, no matter what storms you face. This is how Peter describes joy in 1 Peter chapter 1. This is what it is, a deep and weighty inner delight. But where does it come from? In other words, you go, I want that. Sign me up, right? I want that kind of joy. So where am I going to get it? Where does it come from? And as you read the Bible, particularly through the pages of the New Testament, you're going to see almost exclusively, exclusively the New Testament is going to testify to this very reality, is that the source of your joy is the object of your hope. The source of your joy is the object of your hope. You find it here in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, right? If you go back up, or, or, or in verse 6, and if you go back even up further into verses 3 and 4 and 5, which lead into verse 6, Peter says that you, God has caused us to be born again. So we have new life. We've gone from death to life in Christ, by God's great mercy that he didn't have to bestow upon us, but he freely does. That God's been merciful to us and caused us to come to life. And he says on account of that, we have this hope now, this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So our hope isn't dead, it's not buried in a grave somewhere, but our hope is in a person who is resurrected and ascended and is seated at the right hand of God the Father, awaiting the Father to say, it's time. He's alive a living hope. And he says this living hope, this living hope affords us this inheritance that's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, and that God is keeping it for you and he's keeping you for it. And then he says in verse six, in this, pointing backwards into verses three, four, and five, in this you rejoice, even though right now you're grieved by various trials. Peter points back to the hope that they have. And he says, this is the source of your joy. This is where your joy comes from as a Christian. This is where true Christian joy originates in this hope that God has given us. True Christian joy always originates in hope. Joy is sourced in hope. Peter says. And the rest of the Bible, I think, affirms that testimony as well. So if joy originates in hope, then what is hope? Let me illustrate it to you this way. Hope in the Bible is not the way that we use the terminology hope today, right? When we say we're hoping for something, what do we typically mean? We're wishing for this particular thing to come to pass. When some of you go, right, we're moving into training camp right now, and I hope the Cowboys actually break 500 this year, Okay? You have no reasonable expectation that's going to take place based on what's transpired for the last two decades. Okay? But you hope that they will. You hope that they're gonna, it's going to be a new season, a different season, a different outcome and result. You hope you're wishing for something to take place. And when we use the term hope in our culture, that's typically what we mean by it. We're wishing for something. But when the Bible uses the terminology of hope, the Bible is not talking about us wishing with an uncertainty, but of us waiting for something with expectation. It's not wishing with uncertainty, but waiting with expectation. I can remember as a child, 
Every Christmas, my family used to get what was called the wish book from Sears. You remember, some of you guys remember that wish book that was like this thick, okay? You could use it for an anchor in a boat, literally, okay? Uh, and so it was like this thick. And on the pages of the wish book were all kinds of things that any person, man, woman, or child, might wish for for Christmas. And we would get that wish book every October or so. And we, my brother and I, we would thumb through that wish book until we got back to the toy section, and then we would dog ear and highlight and circle and tear out pages and make little notes and ship them up to my parents saying, we wish, we wish, we wish, right? We are hoping to get these things for Christmas. We had no reasonable expectation that we would receive all those things or any of those things, depending upon where we were that year financially as a family. But we were wishing for those things, the wish book, I had another very different experience though as a child every time I walked into the doctor's office and they sat us in the waiting room, okay? Because I knew what to expect on the other side of those doors. Because <laughs> if I was sick, my parents always opted for the shot over the pills. So I knew exactly what was coming on the other side of the waiting room doors. I had a certain expectation when I walked through those doors of what was going to take place. And when the Bible uses the terminology of hope, it's not talking about us wishing and dog-earing pages and pulling out stuff and sending them up to someone who might be able to provide something for us. But when the Bible uses the terminology of hope, it speaks of us waiting for something. Not wishing for something, but we are waiting for something with a sure and certain expectation that it's coming it's coming, and, and it's going to be good, and it's going to be glorious. And Peter says, the source of your joy, in this you rejoice. In what? The fact that you've been born again. The fact that God has been merciful to you. The fact that God has secured an inheritance for you that he is keeping for you, and he's keeping you for it. And you rejoice in this hope. You rejoice in hope. Hope is whatever that we're waiting, hope is anything that we are looking to or trusting in to provide good for us, that we're waiting to receive good from it. We're waiting to receive good from it. Now, if hope is always, if the object of our hope is always the source of our joy, then our, our joy can either be, it can either be transcendent, and that's a big word, basically means this, not dependent upon our circumstances or anything else around us, or it could be transient, it could, be, it could come and go, it could be taken away at any time, and here's why. It's because our, the object of our hope isn't always set upon what Peter talks about our hope being set upon. The object of our hope isn't always set upon the fact that God's been merciful to us, the fact that we have an inheritance that's waiting for us, the fact that God is keeping us and he's keeping it. Our hope isn't always set on those things. Our hope at times is transient. And so if our hope is transient, then our joy will be as well. You go, why am I being blown about in life? Why am I being, why, why am I not anchored? It's because you're looking to someone or something other than the hope that you have in Jesus Christ to provide good for you. Martin Luther, I think, captures it beautifully. Listen to what he says in his comment on a, on a text out of Romans chapter 12. He says, do not rejoice in that which is present and that which you have experienced and learned to know. In other words, things that you've already gotten your hands on right now. He says, there is a rejoicing in what we see, but that is a vain and transient joy. It could, be, it could come and go. It could be taken away at any moment. So there is also a rejoicing in what we do not see, but possess only by faith. That is a true, eternal, and abiding joy. But there is no rejoicing, but there is no, 
But there is no rejoicing in what is invisible unless we first have hope. But such rejoicing and hope is ours only when we renounce all earthly things which we desire, in which we trust, and in which we find delight. Indeed, when in addition, we are so set apart from the world that we no longer find pleasure in any earthly benefit. If in such cases we willingly endure, then we arrive at hope and through hope to rejoicing. Luther says, there's a kind of joy that you have, or the kind of joy that you have that's based on transient objects until it comes and goes, because the things that you can see can be taken away from you, can't they? Absolutely. But the things that you cannot see that God is keeping for you cannot be taken away. He holds those things secure. And Luther says, why rejoice in the things that you've already seen? Why rejoice in the things that you already have your hands on? He says, the kind of rejoicing that you need to do is in the rejoice, rejoicing in things that you have not yet seen but only have by faith. So you're holding on to the promises of God in your life. By faith, you're holding on to the promises of God and you're rejoicing in those things. That's where your hope is, he says. And through that hope, there's this inner delight that gets born in your life that is deep and weighty. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Lewis says, we look around us and we see all kinds of things that we think are going to bring us joy, that if we could just get our hands on that, then we would have this lasting, abiding, deep and weighty joy. He says, but what we don't realize is that we're like a kid who's making mud pies and eating them. <laughs> when we don't realize what God has offered to us is like a vacation by the seashore in himself. That if we would look to him and have hope in him, we would have this lasting joy that's not transient, doesn't come and go. What are you setting your hope on? Whatever you're setting your hope on is where you're getting your joy. And if you're setting your hope on something that can be taken away from you, then your joy can be taken away from you. Your joy can be robbed from you. What are you setting your hope on? Because we all have alternate objects of hope, don't we? We all have things that we think, if I could just get my hands on that, I'd be happy and joyful. It's a transient object. It can be taken away. For instance, we find this to be true as psychological and emotional beings with a desire for and an elation over a clean bill of health, don't we? And you go to the doctor and he says, everything looks good. I'll see you again next year. Yes, right? Joy. But when you go to the doctor, if you're setting your hope, if you're setting your hope on your health and you go to the doctor and he says, we have some abnormal test results that we need to further look into if you're setting your hope on your health then what happens is your joy gets sucked out it's robbed from you if you're setting your hope on how your children turn out because all of us want our kids to turn out well adjusted and God honoring and love Jesus and serve him with their lives no matter what kind of vocation they have that's what we all want but if you're setting your hope on that, thinking that if my kids will just turn out okay, then I'll be okay. And your kids don't turn out the way that you had thought or planned, what happens is your, 
your hope gets robbed and taken. And so what happens is your joy is taken in simultaneously. Or if you get passed over at work for a promotion, you get a pink slip from your boss, and your hope was that your job would provide that kind of inner deep delight for you. And what happens is when that job is taken away, so is your joy. See, whatever it is you're setting your hope on is where your joy is coming from. Whatever you're setting your hope on is where your joy is coming from. And if that object of hope is transient, your joy will be transient as well. But if that object of hope is eternal and abiding and transcendent and lasting, then there is nothing that anyone or anything on the face of this earth can do to you to rob your joy from you. So last question, how is this kind of joy cultivated in our lives? This deep, inner, weighty delight that is founded upon our hope. How does it get cultivated in our lives? How does it grow in here? I want to challenge you with two things this morning. Two things, all right? They kind of folded up into one thing. One thing, two things. Something like that. All right, here's what you got to do. You and I both, we got to fight for joy. We got to fight for joy by remembering and reciting. We got to fight for it because there are other things that are going to try and assail it. They're going to try and take it from us. There are other objects of hope. You're going to go, I should, I should, if I could get my hands on that, then I would be joyful. It's going to come up against you and you got to fight against it. You got to fight against it. You got to fight against it. And how do you fight against it? Here's how you fight against it. You fight against it by remembering by remembering what Peter says in verses four and five. Listen to what he says. He says, you've got an inheritance. He says, it's an imperishable inheritance. You know what that word means? There's no expiration date on it. You know, as we received canned goods on, on Friday evening, um, Andrea was over in the youth building yesterday. Ryan and Andrea were gracious enough to chauffeur me around a little bit yesterday and as I tried to get my truck taken care of. And we were cleaning up a few things after the event, and she was over there sorting canned goods to determine the expiration dates on these canned goods before we sent them over to the food pantry. Why? Because even non-perishable foods have an expiration date. There's a time at which they're no longer consumable. <laughs> but Peter says, listen, this hope that you have, this inheritance that you have that's waiting for you, it has no expiration date. It's imperishable. Listen to what else he says. It's undefiled. In other words, there's no amount of your sin, okay? Even subsequent to your conversion, as you turn aside from Christ and he continues to pursue you and draw you back, there's no amount of your wandering or waywardness that could defile that inheritance that God is holding for you. It's undefiled, and it's unfading. It'll never lose its luster, right? It'll never lose its luster. It's always shining brightly. And so what do you have to do? You have to look at it. You have to think on it. You have to dwell on it. You have to wake up every morning and say, listen, my hope is not set on my job. My hope is not set on my home. My hope is not set on my family. My hope is not set on my vocational trajectory. My hope is not set on how my kids turn out. My hope is not set on how comfortable of a life that I can have. My hope is not set on any of these things that I have already seen or gotten my hands around, but my hope is set on something that I'm waiting for. 
I'm waiting for it. And I'm going to continue to wait for it until the day at which heaven, the heavens part and Jesus break, breaks through and he comes down to return and claim all of his people for himself. I'm going to keep waiting and waiting and waiting. That's where my hope is. Not on anything that I can see, but what I cannot see. That's where my hope is. You've got to remember that every day, every day, every day, because every day something else is going to rise up and take shots at your joy. So you've got to remember. But second of all, and lastly, you've got to recite continually. You've got to recite continually. Listen, I was watching an episode of Swamp People a while back. Are you guys familiar with Swamp People? Uh, that's some of my peoples down there in South Louisiana. Okay? So they, they are alligator hunters. And as alligator hunters, they, they, they go out in the marshes and swamps of South Louisiana, and they take uh, big, heavyweight, pound-test string, and they tie it up into trees, and they put big, massive steel hooks on the end of those, uh, those, those strings, and they hang chickens and bird, any kind of birds or liver product on, those, on, that, uh, on that hook. And so the, the blood drips off into the water. The gator smells it. He comes up, and he comes out of the water to get it. And when he comes out of the water to get it, his mouth goes around the, around the, the meat, and it gets caught on the hook as he ingests that down. And it pulls the slack out of the line, and he can't swim away. And so when the line's down, they come up to the, to the line, and they pull the line. They got one guy uh, or, or gal. They're, they're very... Um, gender neutral. Okay, so they pull, pull the line out of the water there, uh, and they got one guy's pulling the line, kind of wrestling the gator, and they got another guy who's got a gun. Some of them have pistols, some of them have rifles, more high-powered rifles than they are pistols in, in the show, but they, they take a bead on that gator's head because there's a quarter-sized kill spot on the gator's head that they have to hit. Otherwise, it just deflects off, off that thick hide and thick bone. There's a quarter-sized kill spot, and so they, I, I remember watching one episode well, there's one, one, one old boy's up in front of the boat, and he's wrestling that gator, and that gator's pulling hard, and he's running around and making runs up underneath the boat, about to flip him. And there's a, he's like, oh, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. And so the other guy's got the gun, and he's trying to take bead on that quarter-sized kill spot, and he finally gets it, and he pulls the trigger, and nothing happens. And he pulls the trigger again, and nothing happens. And he pulls the trigger again, and nothing happens. And finally, he takes the gun and puts it right up on the gator's head, and boom, pops him. And they get the gator up in the boat, and they take a look at the rifle afterwards, and they come to realize that the sights on the rifle were not sighted properly. They weren't sighted properly. So they were aiming. They were aiming at the gator's head, but they couldn't, that kill spot, but they couldn't hit it. Why? Because their sights were off. Because of all the, probably the abuse that rifle had been exposed to over the course of the years going in and out of those gator boats. See, the reality is you can aim all day long at lasting joy, but if your sights are not set on the only immovable object of hope that cannot be taken away from you, you will keep firing and firing and firing and firing and firing, and you'll never find it. You'll never hit joy. You'll never hit it. So you and I have to continually recite. Recite. And remember all that God has done and keep that in your vision and aim. Aim at that hope. And whenever you get that hope, there is this deep and inner weighty delight that rises up that's not dependent upon circumstances. Externally, things going on around you. And there are times that you can't find words to articulate it, but it anchors you deep so that nothing is able to blow you away. 
I want that kind of joy. And I want it for you. So every day, would you wake up? Every day, would you wake up and not turn your eyes outward, but turn them upward and continue to recite on the object of your hope and remember all, all that he has in store for you that you have not got your hands on yet, but that he will freely give. So that no matter what you face, no matter what you face, there'll be this joy that rises up within. Let's pray together. Father, we come today, we give you thanks for the fact that we can indeed be a people who is filled with joy as we are full of hope. Father, I pray that as we reflect in these next moments upon the great truths of the scriptures, of how your joy is cultivated in our lives as we look to the object of our hope. I pray that as we fix our gaze upon Jesus Christ, all that he is and all that he's done and all that he will do, I pray that right now you'd begin to bring about a lasting joy in the lives of your people. And for those in this room this morning who have never known that kind of a joy because they've never set their hope on Jesus, Father, I pray that you would break through their hearts, that you would awaken them, that you, as, first, as Peter says, you would cause them to be born again to this living hope. They would set their hope on Jesus Christ, that they would love him though they had not seen him. They would rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible and that's filled with glory that would anchor them no matter what they face in this world. May your spirit do what only your spirit can do in these moments and in the days and weeks ahead. We pray in Christ's name.